uh, a church that enjoys uh, talking and uh, conversating. You guys get a little carried away with five minutes, so um, sorry to cut you all short. You'll have plenty of time at the end. Um, my name is Ben Schultz. I'm one of the pastors here at Family Life Church, and uh, I'm excited to share God's Word with you this morning. In 2017, I started taking uh, online classes at Northeastern Seminary, which is a, a Bible school near Rochester. Um, and I finished my program and graduated in 2020. But as you will likely remember, 2020 was a very unusual year. And so I didn't actually get a graduation ceremony. I didn't get to walk or, or get uh, anything handed to me. The following spring in 2021, I was invited to participate in the graduation ceremony uh, with the following year students. So I went to that. And I got to tell you, I felt a little odd being there for two reasons. First of all, um, it wasn't my class. Like I said, I, I finished in 2020, so the students who were in 2021, I, didn't, I wasn't in class with. I didn't know that well. But even more so is I took most of my classes online. No, I took all of my classes online. So the people who were in the classes with me were from all over the country, even, not even, even international students who took classes online with me. But when I went to this graduation ceremony, most of the students who, who had attended the graduation were those who lived locally, um, and they had attended classes in person. So I remember we were, we were kind of like, um, you know, in the waiting room, the, you know, off to the side, waiting for the ceremony to start. Everyone's getting dressed in their funny little hats and gowns. And, you know, they're joking around. They're talking about the, all the great times they've had in class together. They're remembering, remember that time? When you, you know, were late to class, and remember the time that professor got really upset, or remember this, it was, a, you know, something happened funny, and they're all just joking and laughing. They're there, like, remembering the good times that they had, and I'm here introducing myself to them for the very first time, because I, have, I hardly know, know hardly any of them. The few that I do know, I've, you know, chatted with online, and that's about the extent of it. So it felt a little weird. Then we go into the graduation ceremony, and they announce the valedictorian for their class. And the student body go, you know, cheering wildly for this, for this young lady. Uh, apparently, she had sort of a, um, you know, very unlikely, sort of against all odds, miracle of God's grace kind of story that, that you're getting there. I don't know. I never heard her story. I don't know why everyone was so excited for her. Um, but I was like, okay, cool. So she, she gave a, a, a great speech, um, and everybody was laughing at her speech. I don't know why. I think they were all inside jokes. I don't get what was so funny, but it was like I was in this room surrounded by people, and I, I wasn't on the same page with all of them. And when the ceremony ended, um, then, uh, you know, graduation was done. We were all given our diplomas and, and took our pictures, and we were good. And then I, uh, I was like, okay, I guess I'm good, and I left. And they were all standing around, hanging around, saying goodbye to each other, talking about their future plans together because they had relationship. And, I, and I, in that place, I felt like an outsider. I felt like I don't really fit in with this group of people. Not that they're bad people or anything. It's just I don't know them. I don't know their jokes. I don't know their stories. I don't fit in here. I don't know that I belong here. A couple Sundays ago, Pastor John introduced our new theme. It is that we are the church. He talked about circling the wagons, and he used that uh, as a metaphor for the way the church circles together 
and we care for each other, and we love each other, we support each other, we pray for each other, we're here for each other. But I got to wonder, have you ever asked yourself, do I fit in here? Do I belong here? If you look around and you say, I don't get all the jokes, I don't know all the stories, I don't know if I fit here. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is a question that I personally have wrestled with myself. I grew up in this church. Um, many of the people who go to the church are some of my closest friends. So it would seem odd that I would think that. But it's so easy to look around and see other people and say, you know, I'm not quite as spiritual as that person. I don't sing quite as loudly as that, that person. I don't serve quite as often as so-and-so. I'm not as holy or, or kind or generous as somebody else. Look around and say, these are all good people. I don't know if I fit in. Do I really belong with these people? So this morning, we're going to look at a couple of verses in the Bible that I hope will help you answer that question. They're verses that have helped me answer with a lot of confidence that question, and I hope it will give you some confidence as well. So if you have your Bibles um, or your phones with you, you can open, uh, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Um, the book of Galatians is in the second half of the Bible near the back. Um, Galatians is actually not a book, it's actually a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some of the churches that he had started in Galatia. These churches were fairly young. They had just recently been started, but they had already run into some problems. You see, there were some people who were in those churches in Galatia that were trying to add some rules and some requirements to determine who really belong in the church, to say who are the most important people at the church, the ones who meet all of these requirements. And Paul did not agree with that. And so he wrote them this letter to clarify who belongs in the church. So I find this to be a helpful letter for us to look at uh, with this question in mind. So we're looking in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 23, about halfway through the chapter there. Um, and in this section of the letter, Paul's writing to the Galatians, and he, com- he wants the Galatians to see something. He compares what they were like before they had faith in Jesus and after they had faith in Jesus. So I'm going to read the text to you, and I invite you to Pay attention as I read and see if you can notice what is the difference between before faith in Jesus and after that faith. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 starts off, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But... Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Holy Spirit, I want to take a moment here and just invite you into this room, and I pray that you would teach us what we need to learn from this text, and we surrender all of our thoughts and our ideas and our plans to you, and we say, whatever you want, we're ready for it. In your name, amen. Passage begins, you see it right there in in the beginning, hopefully you caught it, in verse 23, it says, before faith came, we were held captive. That's what my translation says. It says the word captive. Other translations use the word uh, like prisoner 
or we were held in custody. But either way, you get that picture of somebody who is, you know, captive, who can't do what they want, who can't go where they want to go. What was holding them captive? What was holding us captive before faith? The law. The law was holding us prisoner. And what is this big, bad law that's holding everybody prisoner, that's holding everybody captive? I could spend a a long time explaining to you what Paul is referring to here when he's talking about Jewish law and Jewish tradition and the requirements of that. We could also talk about the theology about the law that came before Christ. But I want to summarize it all quite simply by saying this. If you do what is right, then God will accept you. If you do not do what is right, then God will reject you. And that's a simple way to summarize what we mean when we say the law. And this idea is delineated very specifically through a lot of Jewish tradition and Jewish requirements. These are the things that you must do to God will accept you. And if you fail, here are the ways that God will punish you. But I want to suggest that it's not, that idea is not unique to Jewish tradition. I would say that that idea permeates a lot of what we think even today. Subconsciously, unintentionally, I don't think anyone ever stands up and teaches you that if you fail, God will, will reject you. But we take that on. And we assume that if I read my Bible, if I come to church, if I sing along the worship songs, then God is pleased. And if I fail to do those things, if I sleep in and I miss church or, or you know, I'm not doing what I know my mom told me I ought to do, then God is not happy and God is upset with me. And I am not as good of a person. That idea, whether we want to or not, gets stuck inside of us. Now, I want to tell you that the law, actually, the law is not bad. The law is good. The law provides an incentive for us to do what is right. It tells us if we do what is right, then God will accept us. And it lays out for us in a lot of ways what we ought to do and how we ought to behave and how we ought to treat people. And that's a good thing, right? The problem is, as you you all know, is that we lack the power and the ability and the discipline to always do what is right. At some point, we fail to do what is right. And the law tells us what we should do, but the law doesn't give us any help in accomplishing that. It kind of leaves us on our own. So that leaves us always with this sort of fear of failure. This is how a good law turns each one of us into prisoners. Because either we fail to do what is right and we are rejected by God, or we do what is right and then we feel a pressure to continue to do what is right. We feel like it's up to us to keep doing what is right and not mess up. You will either be, hear me, you either be a prisoner of the consequence of the law or you will be a prisoner of the requirements of the law. But either way, you're a prisoner. Either way, you're captive. Either way, you are not free. And like I said, the law isn't bad. It's good. But we need more than the law. We need something to change inside of us. We need more than someone just telling us what we ought to do. We need something that helps us to do it. Um, when I was in my, uh, in my 20s, 
Uh, I was here at this church, and I signed up for this program that our church had called Transform, which was a, uh, it's a spiritual mentorship. It was a leadership training program that was overseen by Pastor John and Pastor Chris. And, and uh, in that program, uh, there were several requirements to be in that program that felt very strict, especially to me as a young man when I signed up and they told me, here are the things that are expected of you in this program. It felt a little daunting. Um, so they asked us at one point to track every hour throughout the day so we could see how we were spending our time and to see if we were making good use of our time and track all the money that we spent in a month to see what we were doing with our money. Um, we were expected to serve. It felt like pretty much any time the church building was open, we were expected to be here. If it was a Sunday morning or if it was a women's conference, it didn't matter. We were here doing something. Um, and, we you know, Pastor Chris said, uh, I'm going to ask some of you to, to preach a sermon. So you should always have a sermon ready because you never know when I might call on you to preach. So you always had to have something ready to go. We were expected to read the Bible every day. We were expected to read through the entire Bible in a year. And you never know when someone might call on you and say, what, is the Lord, what have you been reading today? What's the Lord showing you today? So it felt like I was a captive. It felt like I wasn't free. Like the weight of the requirements were a lot on me. And some people in this room were in that program and probably remember what that felt like. They weren't bad. They were good expectations. But it felt like I had a lot of pressure to keep doing what was right. And I wonder if some of you can relate to that feeling, to feel like I've got to keep doing what's right. My family depends upon it. My spouse is counting on me. My kids are looking to me. My parents are expecting it of me. I've got to keep doing what's right. And I can't relax. And I can't mess up. And everyone's watching. And there's this sort of pressure. I want to make people happy. I want to make God happy. And I've got I to be disciplined. And I've got to do it right. That is not a good feeling. And I suggest that is the feeling that Paul is referring to when Paul said, we were held captive. We were held prisoner by that type of feeling. I've, I've got to get it right. But thankfully, everything that I'm describing to you right now is all before faith came. And when faith comes, faith changes everything. Faith changes the conversation. Faith comes in, and it's a whole new story. So, let's look at verse 25. Verse 25, Paul says, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. In fact, he goes on, he says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God in faith. So, I said Paul is comparing the Galatians before they had faith and after they have faith, and I want you to catch it. So, if you didn't catch it, I want to point it out to you. Before faith came, we were under the law. After faith came, we were in Christ. Got that? Before faith, we were under the law. After faith, we were in Christ. I want you to say that with me. Say, before faith, under the law. Before faith, under the law. Okay. Um, sorry, guys. I'm used to, I speak to the, the, I work with the kids in our, our church, the youth, and I'm used to the energy of, a, of the young people here, so I'm going to need a little more energy here in this moment. So, before faith, under the law. After faith, in Christ. Amen. Under the law, we were captives. In Christ, what are we? 
Yes, but who are we? Before we were, we were prisoners, we were captives. What are we now? We are sons. That's what it says in the text right there. It says, in Christ, we are sons of God. Now, let's take a minute and talk about sons. And I'll be honest, as I read this verse and I thought about this verse, I was really tempted to change the wording here so that it said, in Christ, we are sons and daughters, to include uh, everyone. Or maybe just a more generic, in Christ, we are the children of God, which is very inclusive. And I think that's a good thing. However, I feel like we do a disservice to what Paul is saying, and we miss the heart of what Paul is saying when he uses the word son. I'm telling you, Paul does not use the word son to elevate one gender over another. He's not saying in Christ all the men are important. What he's saying, he uses the word son to highlight a position. Because in culture, in those days, the son had a significant place of position in the family. The son had a little more authority, had a little more responsibility. The son received an inheritance. He followed in the father's footsteps. So when Paul says that in Christ you are all sons, he's not saying you're all male. He's saying in Christ you all have a position of significance. You all have a position of authority. You all have a position of responsibility. Every single one of you is seen as valuable. Nobody is a second-class member of God's family. No matter what you might think or what my culture might tell you or what you might feel inside, I'm telling you, in Christ, you are all sons of God. Amen? The other thing about sons, whether they like to admit it or not, is that sons act like their fathers. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you, some of that's a good thing. Sometimes that can be a bad thing. But often, sons act like their fathers. They pick up the character traits of their father. They, they pick up the tone of voice of sometimes of their father or sometimes the facial expressions of their father. Um, my dad is a morning person, like extreme morning person, wakes up way too early in the morning and then just gets going. And whether I like it or not, I'm a morning person too. I get that from my dad. I can't help it. Uh, and sometimes that can be a blessing if I have a lot to do. Sometimes that can be a curse if I have a day off and I'd rather sleep in. But it's just the way my, my body is wired is I'm a morning person, just like my dad. I didn't choose it. I don't try to make it happen. It's just in my nature. Follow me, it's in my nature. And that a lot of sons have picked up the nature of their fathers. Sometimes that can be good, sometimes that can be bad. But spiritually, as sons of God, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, that we pick up the nature of our father. We imitate our father. We remind people of our father. And that is a really good thing. You know the expression, like father, like the captive who kept all the requirements of the law, right? That's the expression, isn't it? No. Like father, like son, right? Like father, like son. I described to you earlier about how I was in this program, Transform, and there were all these requirements and expectations for us, and that left me feeling like a prisoner. They were good expectations. It was, it, honestly, it was a really good thing for me in that season of my life. But it felt like a weight. It felt like I was like under a lot of pressure to do all of these things. And you know what's interesting? I was thinking about last week. 
years and years and years later, I still do almost all of those things regularly. But they don't feel like a weight. They don't, I don't feel like a prisoner anymore. Those things bring me joy now. Those are things that are part of my nature now. And it's not because I'm a great person or anything like that. It's because over time, Jesus has worked in my heart. And he's changed my heart. He has changed my very nature. So the things that used to feel like a weight, used to feel like a requirement, are now my life and my joy. I talked to you before about, I said, remember I said like, the law gives us the requirements, but it doesn't give us any power. But Jesus gives us life, and he gives us power to keep those laws. It should bring you great joy to know that in Christ, you are a son of God. In Christ, you have a place in the family. In Christ, you belong. Your acceptance here is not determined by how good you are, by how spiritual you are, how well you you do all of the right things. So that should bring you joy. Hear me say this. There is no need to stress about getting it right. There's no need to stress because he has done everything right. He, Jesus, has done everything right. So you don't need to worry about it, whether you do it right or whether you do it wrong. If you're in Christ, you are accepted by God. Amen? You don't need to compare yourself to others. You don't need to say, well, so-and-so reads more than I do. So-and-so worships more than I do. It doesn't matter. He's not looking for people to meet a certain level of godliness. He's looking at Christ and saying, he has done everything right. Okay, how many of you can remember back to when you were in gym class, and it was time to play a game in gym class, and so what do we do? We pick the two best kids, and those two kids are the captains, and then everybody else line up backs against the wall, and the captains are going to pick who they want on their team. Now, if you were maybe those two athletic kids who always got picked for captain, then you won't quite understand this analogy. You won't understand the fear and the apprehension that the rest of us feel backs against the wall lined up because what's about to happen is more than just picking a team for a sport. It's a ranking of social order. You know what I'm saying? It's not just like, am I on so-and-so's team? It's, who am I getting picked, who am I getting picked ahead of? Which round am I being selected in? You know, who's, who's stronger than me? Who's faster than me? Who, you know, you don't want to be picked last. So it's a sorting of the, the, maybe this is just a guy thing, but it was a clear, obvious delineation of where you fell. And, you know, loyalty didn't really, didn't really play a whole part because, you know, you could be like, hey, I'm your friend. And he, the captain's going, you're my friend, but you're slow. I don't need you. Because he's looking for the fastest kids. He's looking for the toughest kids. He's looking for the most athletic kids, right? Now I want you to picture that. Now I want you to compare that scene with another scene. It's a father who comes to pick up his kids at the end of the day of school. Let's say he parks in a parking lot and he gets out of his vehicle. The bell rings, the doors open, and kids come running out of the school onto the sidewalk. Now is that father looking for the fastest kids? Is he looking for the, the smartest kids, the strongest kids, the prettiest kids? No. What's he looking for? He's looking for his kids. He's looking for his own He's looking for the ones that belong to him. He's looking for the ones who call him father. He's looking for the ones that look like him. 
It doesn't matter what they do or how good they are. What matters is who are they? Whose are they? And I'm telling you, that's what determines if you belong a part of the church, is who do you call father? And who are you? Who you are determines where you belong. So I have to ask you this morning, are you a captive or are you a son? I'm going to put it to you real simple like this. If you put your faith in yourself, you become a prisoner. If you put your faith in Christ, you become a son. If you put your faith in yourself, if you say, I think I can do this, I think I can prove myself worthy, I think I can meet all the expectations, I think I can be a good Christian or a good person, you become a prisoner. Either by failing or succeeding, either way, you become a prisoner. But if you put your faith in Jesus and you say, I believe he has done everything right, I believe he has paid for my failures, and I believe he's given me a new nature, then you become a son. So the thing that determines who you are is your faith. So what is your faith in? Faith is the belief that because Jesus has done what is right, that you are accepted by God. And if you believe that, then you are in Christ. But faith is more than belief. To me, belief is a thought or maybe a feeling, but faith is more than belief. Faith is belief in action. Faith is when the things you think and the things you feel cause you to do something differently. Your faith, when something inside of you is expressed in something we can see on the outside, that's your faith. And faith is expressed in a lot of different ways. It might be expressed in a prayer. It might be expressed in the fact that you're here this morning. It might be expressed in something that you do with your time or with your money. That's how you demonstrate that I believe in Jesus. I want to talk really quickly as I'm wrapping up. I want to talk about two expressions of faith that I think are really significant, and I see them highlighted in this passage here. Um, as we go on, we talk in verse 27, it says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And it's this word baptized that I want to highlight. Um, I think this is an important expression of faith. Um, so what does it mean to be baptized? Baptized is a word that we don't really use much very often outside of church setting. But it means, pretty literally, it means like to submerse or to immerse, to put something inside of something else. Totally. So it's so, so surrounded by it. That's what baptized is. So in like a more literal sense, you could envision it to be like if I just pushed my son into the pool, you could say that I just baptized him into the, the pool. Um, if I had a cup of coffee and a, a donut, I could baptize my donut into that cup of coffee. It's just totally submerged into it, right? But it's not just a literal thing, it's also like a metaphor uh, when you can just be immersed into something else. So let's say you took a road trip and you listened to an audiobook for six hours straight. Anyone ever done that before? And you find yourself totally baptized into that story, right? Totally immersed in it. It's like all you're thinking about. I remember one time uh, reading a story, and it was like in the story, the character was in, I don't remember, but it was like a storm, and it was like lightning and thunder and hard rain. And then I put the book down, and I went outside, and it was sunny. And like my brain was confused because I was so immersed in the story that I forgot 
what it, reality. Um, and that's what baptized is like, is when you're immersed in something. Now, it tells us here that those who are baptized into Christ. So what does this mean to be baptized into Christ? Follow me here. It's to be immersed in Christ. It's to be totally surrounded with Christ. It's, he's all around you, wherever you go, whether you're going to work on Monday morning or you're going to school or you're going home to your house or you're with your friends and your family. Wherever you are, you're surrounded by him. You're immersed in him. And that's what it means to be baptized uh, in Christ. And what, what Paul writes and he says is that those who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. They've put on the nature and the character of Christ now. So that's what the word baptize means. Now, when we use the word baptize in a church setting, often what we're referring to is water baptism. And water baptism is a practice. It's a sort of a little ceremony that we have. Um, and it's for somebody who has made the decision to put their faith in Christ. And they said, I'm putting my faith in Christ, and I'm going to deciding to baptize myself into Christ. And so we do this ceremony with water that demonstrates that. It depicts that for them. So if you've never seen a water baptism before, we have like, we, pers- we actually have a tub. Some people will do it with like a pond or in a pool or a river or whatever. But we have a tub that we bring in here, and the person being baptized is in the water, and then the minister will slowly lower them under the water and then quickly bring them back up again out of the water. And that's a baptism. And it represents their decision to say, I want to be immersed in Christ. I want to be surrounded by Christ. So that's why I go under the water. But baptism signifies a couple of really important things that I want you to see. And one is first, when you go down in the water, that represents you are laying down your old self. You are laying down your old way of doing things. Honestly, it represents death. You're identifying with the death of Jesus who died for our sins. And you're saying, I identify with that. And I'm letting my old life die. But then, you don't stay there. You come right back up again. And that represents the resurrection of Jesus. Three days after he died, he came back to life again. Amen? And this represents that we identify with that as well. He came back with a new life, and he's given us a new life. We lay down the old, and we come to life with the new. And that's what baptism represents. And th- I think this is a, such an important step in the life of a believer. It's such an important step because we can make a decision in our hearts, we can make a decision in our head that we're going to follow Jesus. But how many of you know that our hearts are weak and our heads are forgetful? And you can say, I believe in Jesus with all my heart. But a few months from now, your heart goes, did you really mean that? Did you really say that? I don't think you really did. But if you get up in front of all of your friends and family and you get dunked in some water and you come back up again, that's a moment in time you can point to and say, no, I have been baptized into Christ. I have made the decision. I have put my faith in him. I am a son of God. Amen? So that's the significance of water baptism. If you have put your faith in Christ and you have not yet been water baptized, I strongly recommend that you pray and consider, is this a time in my life when the Lord is leading me to take this step of faith to demonstrate what I believe? The second expression of faith that I want to make mention of here is the church, which brings us right back to where we started. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. 
We have come together as the sons of God. And we started with this question of, do I belong here? Do I fit in here? And I want to show you what Paul says. He says, here there's neither Jew nor Greek. Just as a side note, Jew and Greek was the great like racial, social divide of their day. We don't have that divide, but you can envision we have similar social and racial divides here in our culture. So Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is no slave, there's no free. There's no male, there's no female. You are all one in Christ, amen? You are all one in Christ. Our unity transcends all of those barriers. And I'm not saying, obviously I'm not saying that in some weird way, we're neither male nor female, and we're, you know, something like that. I'm saying whatever those distinctions we have, they don't matter as much as the thing that we share in common, and that is that we love Jesus. Um, I've had a, a couple opportunities to go overseas to serve in some mission work uh, in other countries overseas, and one of the things I love about being overseas is meeting other believers. And when you meet another believer overseas and you're far away from home and you're in a foreign land and you're kind of like out of your element and you meet another believer, it's like meeting an old friend. And it, it, there's this instant sort of connection. And it doesn't matter if they're not from your country and maybe they don't really speak your language. You know, maybe they're a lot older or younger or different gender or they're different denomination. It doesn't matter. When you're, when you're in that element, it's like, all that matters is that you and I both love Jesus, and you and I both serve Jesus. And maybe we have different churches and different worship styles and like different food, but what matters is we are united by our faith in Jesus. And I think that gives us a beautiful picture of what the church should be like. Now, I might not agree with all of you. I might not even like all of you, but I... <laughs> I know that we are all sons of God in Christ. I know that you all have a place of significance. And so I choose to love you, and I choose to support you, and I choose to care about you. And I would challenge you as sons of God to make the same decision, that this is the body of Christ. These are the people. These are the sons of God. And whether I like them or not, I'm going to choose to support them, and I'm going to choose to care for them. We are the church. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that to be a believer, a Christian, you have to be a member of Family Life Church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, as a believer, you are involved with the rest of the, the believers. Um, I want to mention, as I wrap up, I want to mention um, that October 1st is what we call Celebration Sunday here at our church. And Celebration Sunday is a time when we celebrate water baptisms and we celebrate new church members. And that's part of the reason for the timing of this message. If this morning you have heard what I've spoken and you've thought, I feel like the Lord is telling me to take a step and be water baptized, now is your opportunity. If you feel like the Lord is laying in your heart like, I feel like I need to commit to be a part of this church, now is your opportunity. Um... As soon as we released from the service this morning, there will be a very brief meeting for those who are interested in being water baptized. Um, so I encourage you to stick around and attend that meeting. If you're interested in becoming a church member, next Sunday following the service, there will be a membership class. And you're welcome to stay and join in on that and learn more about that. Um, we're going to conclude uh, our morning service by singing a song together. 
And the reason why we're going to sing this song is because I want you to, for those of you who have put your faith in Christ, give you an opportunity to reaffirm that you are in Christ. And that in Christ, you are a son. And I want to challenge you with this one last question. It's a question I asked you earlier. Are you a son or are you a captive? And I know from my experience, it's easy to put our faith in Christ, but then slip back into living as a captive. To slip back into a way of saying, I've got to do it right. I've got to get everything right. I can't let anyone down. I've got to do all the good things and please God and please my family. But I want to encourage you, identify yourself as a son. If your faith is in Christ, then you belong. What was the thing that we said? We said before faith, under the law. After, the faith, after faith, in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, I pray that you would, um, you would solidify this word into our hearts right now. Um, and I pray that you would uh, push back any of the lies that have crept into our hearts and our minds. And you would bring freedom to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.